today on CityCast Denver. Hello, and welcome to Denver International Airport. The doors are closing. Please keep clear and hold on for departure to the terminal. We hope you enjoy your stay in Lucifer's Domain, a.k.a. the Mile High City, a.k.a. Denver, Colorado. If you can get through the airport first. Westward editor Patty Calhoun is going to help us navigate all the construction. Today is Wednesday, September 14th, 2022. I'm Bree Davies, and this is CityCast Denver. Patty Calhoun, welcome back to CityCast Denver. We're talking about the airport. Thanks. A pleasure to be here. So, Patty, DIA is in the news yet again. Is the airport just Denver's boondoggle to end all boondoggles? Oh, in Colorado, I would think there probably are even more boondoggles (laughs) because the astonishing thing, something we would never have believed 30 years ago, is that Denver International Airport has generally worked out. I mean, it's the third busiest airport in the country. We haven't had any major catastrophes from a disaster standpoint. Financial is a different issue, but and we'll get into that. But it has worked. And part of it is putting it all the way out on the planes, which we all laughed about, those of us who loved getting to Stapleton in 10 minutes from downtown. It's made it a really good place for flights to change. You know, people who are transferring flights, they never even see Denver, but it is Financially, it has worked out pretty well, but it is a miracle when you go back over all the delays, everything that went into putting the airport there, and now we discover new problems at the airport. So I really wanted to talk to you about this because you were there. Like, I was a kid, so I don't really remember, other than my parents thought that the design of the airport was hilarious. I remember in my kitchen growing up, we had a newspaper clipping of the airport finished, but it was turned upside down, and my dad had drawn a cow so that the airport's roof was its udders. Oh, that's interesting, because there also are conspiracy theories that it looks like a swastika or a penis. So, and there are camps for both and not more cow. I didn't hear. So how, what was Denver's general feeling about this airport when it was being, or before it was built, when they were saying, okay, it's going to be out in the middle of nowhere. How did people Well, so when Pena came in, one of his promises was there would be a new airport because Stapleton, no question, was crowded. And one of the options was moving it onto the Rocky Mountain Arsenal, which is all that land just to the north, but it's all that land that was contaminated with nerve gas and other chemicals. So ultimately, the city decided there was no way, and it had some help from the feds, no way they could expand onto the Rocky Mountain Arsenal. And instead, they found this plot of land out basically in Aurora and Adams County. But of course, Denver couldn't annex because the Poundstone Amendment in the 70s, which was passed so no people of color would flee the city and move to suburbs or big bad Denver wouldn't annex suburbs and then mix in the nice white people with the people of color in the city. That was the Poundstone Amendment. So we had to vote to overcome the Poundstone Amendment to let Denver annex the land for Denver International Airport. So it started controversially in the first place. Pena was unpopular at the time, and Roy Romer, the governor, had to go around eating oatmeal to convince people to let it, to pass the vote. And it did in the late 80s. So we voted to let Denver annex this land build the airport, and then the real trouble became. 
we the design well, the first designer was gone then we got the tent icon roof iconic roof from Kurt Ventress but a bigger problem was underground back with the Martians and the Illuminati and everybody else and the conspiracy theories. But the original baggage system, which United demanded, wound up destroying all the bags that were on it. So Denver had to go back at the last second to the old-fashioned cart system for bags. Whoa. And that, that automated baggage system was just junked and tossed somewhere on Denver International Airport grounds. So it's it's like definitely old news by this point, the uh, Illuminati connections, the, all the conspiracy theories. But what st- I don't understand where that began. How did that come to be? Where did that come from? I wish I could say we took credit because it's so great. But the bags being eaten helped it. <laughs> and then when the airport had a big grand opening, except it didn't open yet because of the bags, but the party was already planned. They called it the New World event or something, but that got you into the New World Order, which got you into the Illuminati. So even before DIA opened, there were rumors about the New World, about the Illuminati. There were rumors about the Martians were a good one, concentration camps underneath (gasps) DIA. Oh my gosh. They've gone forever. So it wasn't just the art. It wasn't just like, oh, there's some weird art No, the art was a happy after effect, like Lucifer. Sure. By then, you know, the must Mustang that killed its creator, by then the rumors were all in place. The rumors were there before DIA opened 27 years ago. It's so interesting to me because when we think about rumors like this, it's usually rooted in some building or something that was built, you know, in the Victorian era or something. But this is a building that was built in the 90s. 90s. You know, it's not that old. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Okay, so earlier this week, the Colorado Sun reported that the FAA has issued a caution to pilots about potential mid-air collisions near DIA. And apparently pilots are turning off their collision alerts because two of our runways are too close together. And reportedly one in five pilots turn these quote unquote nuisance alerts off. Um, Regulators have known about this issue for at least a decade, but the interests of the industry seem to be winning out. I'm... This story blew my mind, Patty. Right, that they've known about this since 2010, that they're just the FAA basically said, okay, you know, if you want to do it, you can do it airlines because I don't know what else the airlines are allowed to do. I guess we should find that like jettison passengers. if The plane gets too heavy, just dump them out (laughs) over the planes. But this is incredible. So uh, 16L and 16R are the two runways that are pretty close together and Because of the altitude, Denver seems to have these warnings more than other areas. That's what the report says. So this happens at almost every airport. But in Denver, it's worse and the chances of collisions are worse. But they still have been allowing pilots once they get to a certain point, like they're ready to land. So they just get to turn this off. And what I think 17 percent of them do. So now they are saying that's really not a good idea because there could be a midair collision. So don't do it. The last (laughs) midair collision in this country was in 1986. So 
They're not that common, but really, how many do you need? One yeah. midair collision over Denver International Airport is one too many. Also, this airport was built in the middle of nowhere. It wasn't working around existing infrastructure. Why are the runways too close together? Is this just bad design? <laughs> Well, you know, now they're looking at building a seventh runway. In fact, they just got right. some federal help for that. Um, I I don't know. Maybe it was they didn't want to have the snow plows have to go too far when they are um, plowing the snows. You know, one of the things about DIA, it was supposed to be an all-weather airport, never shut down. Of course, as we yeah. all know, it has indeed had to shut down. There are other issues like you can't get there when Peña is closed. You can't get there when there aren't enough people to run the A train. I mean, there's so many hilarious aspects to this. But this one, I guess in normal circumstances, it's okay to have air runways that close together. But they had all the, I think it is the largest airport in the country in landmass. So there what? really isn't any good reason for it. So I want to hear about the political climate that led to DIA. I, you've mentioned that Pena was, so Pena was not popular at some point or like because he's the guy that really ushered in this this new era and when you think about it in 1983 when he was elected there was a whole new generation of Coloradans Denverites the people who'd come out you know to the music of John Denver the people who'd voted against the Olympics it was not the good old boy network that elect that elected Federico Pena so people were really ready for change and some of that was like bringing major league baseball getting an airport that was big enough to handle the tourism that was coming because there's no question Stapleton was too small. I bet its air, its runways were really close together. And Stapleton shut down almost whenever it snowed. Think about that, too. Wow. So we definitely needed a new airport. The Rocky Mountain Arsenal looked like a good idea. But so Pena came in very popular. And then something bad happened, which he was not responsible for, which was the huge oil bust. So oh. a year into his administration, all these grandiose plans wound up getting put on hold because Denver was as depressed as it had been in decades. You had an office vacancy rate about what it is now with, with COVID, <laughs> but at least somebody's paying for most of that rent. You know, it was 36% downtown empty. Interesting. So it was tough, tough time for him. And there was a lot of opposition to Pena, partly because the good old boys wanted their city back. And he was not of that uh, not at all. network whatsoever. I mean, not we're talking all. about a Latinx leader in a city in the 80s. I mean, that's pretty... He like was 36 when he was elected, too. And he was too. really young. So, so that was really a sea change for Denver. And the airport ultimately has proven to be a success when you look at the development going around it. Made a lot of people rich, not me, um, but you see... You <laughs> no one see, in my family either. No, yeah. So everyone I think at this table is is clear. But you, when you see the development that is finally going out there after 30 years after they started right. building the airport. Yeah. it's. But thinking about it a little bit differently now, I'm just having this epiphany of the 90s being this time for Denver, much like the 70s was a time for Denver, where we were growing and, and other places and things were interested in coming to us. And you're right. I don't think... It, Stapleton couldn't have handled what we do now, inter, like internationally, uh, tourism-wise, entertainment-wise, sports-wise. People want to come to even restaurant-wise. I was thinking about this because I was at Sushi Sasa the other night, and like they're one of the restaurants that gets their fish flown in every day. Like, how do you do that without an airport that can handle it? Okay, I get, I get why we needed it. 
What we forget is also by Stapleton moving, we got Central Park, the neighborhood. Sure. And when you think about a boon to the city, we're getting infill in Denver proper. And going back to the Poundstone Amendment, Denver really couldn't grow at all. It couldn't build new buildings, couldn't build new housing because we couldn't annex. We couldn't take over Englewood. We couldn't take over Aurora. So with Stapleton, like... um, like Elitch's and like Lowry, we were able to actually build some new neighborhoods. And I think if you look at Central Park and most of the people who live there love it. I mean, it is a close in neighborhood in the city that has schools and has kids and has families. And that's all good. Um, so we mentioned how it was run. So Kim Day was CEO for quite a few years. Right. And then she retired and Phil Washington took over. And this was in the last year or two? Just really the last year. Okay. And he is now, he left to go work for the Biden administration. He hasn't left yet, Okay, but he will soon be approved, I'm pretty sure, unless, and he's not the one in the FAA who let them turn off the um, collision warning. So I think we're okay on that. He's actually done a pretty good job running the airport and cleaning up some major messes that had been left there. Why should we as just Denverites and uh, people that use the airport care about who runs the airport? Because if you ever want to fly out or in, uh, out of Denver or into Denver, if the airport isn't running well, the air the airlines pay the fees, which means we pay the fees. So that's one reason. Okay. Uh, well, that's really the best reason in sure. so many ways. We don't want to have to pay more fees. And you certainly don't want the city to have to bail out the airport, although that hasn't been the situation. I was going to say, I feel like there's some contract approvals and things happen that feel lot like we're bailing out the airport. Well, we just had a $500 million contract that went through city council Monday night, which is for baggage fixes. And supposedly it's federal money. And as long as they don't eat the suitcases, I think that's good. (laughs) We talked a little bit about the art, but I want to know how you personally feel a Blucifer hideous public art or icon of the city. Both. That's the great thing about Lucifer. <laughs> it's loved and it's loathed. I mean, it is a crazy symbol of this city. What is fascinating to me is how many people think it's because of the Broncos. Oh, that alone sure. is really interesting. I mean, Luis Jimenez, the artist who created it, his whole story about the wild Mustangs and the planes, and by planes, I mean PL. I-N-S. So it really is an interesting historic look at what was out there before. I think that's a great piece of art. You know, the other thing, and I was telling Paul this, the train noises are a piece of art. Oh, So yeah. that was a contract thing, that little dee-dee-dee So that was like a commissioned piece. It was a commissioned piece. And so were the messages, like, welcome to Denver. So for a good 15, 20 years, whenever they wanted to change the message, they had to have the artist go in and do the change. Jim Green, I think. He had to go do the change. Finally, DIA bought the rights to change the messages. You know, you are avoiding, you are... uh, You are delaying the departure of this train. That chastising message that I have always thought could be softened was actually a piece of art. And now I wonder why, you know, why don't they say, Michael Hancock, this is your mayor. Sorry that there's going to be some construction when you get off this train and you'll have no idea where to go. But welcome to Denver. I mean, I would like a little truth in advertising. So um, I I was thinking about this, Patty. Does DIA... Like, is it really just fine? It, I, I was there recently. It it functioned just fine. We got in and out of there just fine with our kid and our strollers and all our stuff. I wonder, does DIA just suffer from a long-term PR problem and it's really not the worst? 
Well, it's definitely not the worst, but you go there and there are certain things you just wish were a little clearer in their signage and you wish there were fun places to sit and hang out and yeah. wait for people. And it doesn't feel like the you, gateway um, to hell. You like it when they celebrate Colorado businesses. And I'll say this, they've sure. also done a good job lately of bringing in local restaurants. That is cool. I do love that when folks come into Denver, they get to see a little bit of who we are, even if they maybe aren't can they make it all the way to the right. city? <laughs> but you would like to see more of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So do you think we're just too harsh on it? It's like really just doing well, its job. Well, if not job. us, who's going to be free? <laughs> of course we're going to be harsh on it. Well, Patty, thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. And here's what else Denverites are talking about. City Council Monday night unanimously approved Mayor Hancock's plan to distribute $2 million to people experiencing homelessness. Denverite reports that the money will flow through a new program called the Denver Basic Income Project. They're planning to pay out $12,000 per person over the course of a year. The program plans to support 140 women, transgender, and gender nonconforming individuals and their families. And finally, an update from Broncos country. Russell Wilson and the Denver Broncos faced off against Wilson's old team, the Seattle Seahawks, on Monday Night Football. And they biffed it. We wondered before the season about how these new Broncos would come together, and it turns out that it was not the players, but a coaching error from first-year head coach Nathaniel Hackett that cost the game. He threw 30 seconds away with one minute remaining in the fourth quarter and went for a 64-yard field goal instead of putting the ball in Wilson's hands. Big mistake. But hey, it's your first time. Everybody makes mistakes, right? Whatever. Broncos country, let's ride. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell outgoing DIA CEO Phil Washington about us. Rate the show wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. See ya! Oh. Justin Simmons, Broncos safety. Oh, he is? Okay, we'll see. And because they bought the contract from Jim Green, they, they can do that. But would it hurt him to say, hey, you know, I'm used to running onto obstacles on the field. You're going to hit some at DIA <laughs> because of this construction. Yeah, like deal with it. <laughs>